My name is Mike. I'm part of the, the pastoral team here. Nick is, I don't know if he's hunting or fishing today, but he's with a bunch of pastors in North Dakota. So the only thing that would draw you to North Dakota would be hunting or fishing. So he's there getting refreshed. I hope that on the way in you uh, picked up what, a memory verse card or a devotional. You'll be there on the way out as well. And speaking of memory verse card, we're going to just work on verses three through four today. And so if you would read with me nice and loudly, 2 Peter 1, three through four. By the way, when you're memorizing verse, verses, memorize the address, the reference in there. When you're talking to people, they don't know a clue where you got that. And so if every verse has a reference, then they can know that, oh, that's from the Bible. So let's read it together. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. Glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Can I get that screen up? You believe that? Try to learn that this week. The cards are here. Put it up on your bathroom mirror so while you're getting ready in the morning you can recite it and practice it. Make a copy of it or grab another one and put it in your car wherever you're spending time with some downtime to memorize God's word. It's a good thing. We're going to continue talking about um, this, the effects of the vortex of 2020 and all the different things that have happened. But trying to focus now on what do we do about it? And so back in 2006, the John Hopkins Hospital um, did a study. I'll get used to this thing in a minute. Can you back me up one? Did a study and it was around crisis intervention and crisis response. But once they did the study, they found out that it was true for a lot of things. And that's, if you're not taught how to resist, you have very little resistance. Makes sense. If you have no resistance, you're not resilient. If you're not resilient, then you need help in the recovery. Now here was their final conclusion. It was kind of embarrassing for us Americans was that Americans are not resistant at all. We just jump in and try it. Therefore, we have very little resiliency, but we have great recovery programs because we expect people to fail. How's that for a, a diagnosis? And, and when you look around at, at different things, you find that it's very true. Unfortunately, it's also true in the church. We come in, and this is a very general, I'm not talking about High Point at the moment. One of the joys of serving at High Point is you. And that, um, and that you do love the Lord, and in our lives are growing together and growing individually. But for many around, churches are something that we just do on Sunday. We participate in church, we're religious, but that doesn't make us 
have resistance. Resistance is when something comes at you and you have the ability to say no. Or if it does hit you, you have the ability to bounce back. And that's resilience. And resiliency is what we need to have as Christians. God knew what was going to happen, and so he put this resiliency program in Second Peter. And he said, okay, you're going to get hit, but if you do these things, if you add these characteristics of mine to your life, you won't fail. One of the things I noticed over the last six months, and, and I had a lot of time to notice that because for the first four months of that, I was recovering myself, and I heard people talking about what was going on around them more than I heard them talking about who they were in Jesus. And it was very telling because pretty soon the people that were alarmed with what was going on around them more than who Christ was in them and they were in Christ were finding themselves faltering. And, and when we falter, we forget. And when we forget who we are, when we forget the promises of God, we begin to drift. And talking to pastors in town, a lot of them are not real sure where their congregations are. I was talking to one pastor and they're a pretty large church and they had less than 10 people on a broadcast a few weeks ago. And we were talking about that and, and came down to, he said, I guess they don't value the word like I thought they did. And it's a startling realization for him. Resilience can't begin or grow without the proper footing and grounding. And that's why the second passage or the second Peter passage is so critical for us. Because it sets us up to succeed not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. So how did we get here? It's got a delay in it. Take me back one again, if you will. Um, one of the things that we've lost is, is just our cultural touchstones. By that I mean Certain communities have values that are shared. In southern Wisconsin, in Madison, Milwaukee, Racine, Kenosha, we don't have common values that we share. And so when things are tossed up in the air, we feel a bit scattered as communities. I remember as a kid that there was freedom in the neighborhood because my parents knew most of the people in the neighborhood. If I did something wrong, my parents knew it before I got home. Hated the telephone, but they knew who I was. And they cared about me enough to let mom and dad know. At church, if something were wrong and I needed to talk to somebody other than mom and dad, I could, and mom or dad were confident that what I would hear is probably what they would say. They knew that when a teacher taught me at school, I was going to hear something that was common 
to what they believed. And that commonality that we share as communities and larger communities is, is drifting away because we're all from all over. I'm not from Madison. How many of you here are not from Madison? Yeah, anybody from Madison here? About eight. Seriously. And so, where did you come from? You come from other customs, other parts of the country, other countries. And we end up with the loss of cultural touchstones. We also find out that, oh, I didn't need to go there. I'm gonna have words with this remote afterwards. <laughs> Take me back one again. We also find out that, that we have moral vacuums. We have places in our culture where morality doesn't matter anymore. We have places where um, we're not sure what's right and what's wrong. Um, over the last, oh, probably 60 years, we've seen institutions like schools, churches, um, education, most levels of government. Those were all places that we went to and we believed what they said 60 years ago. Now, 60 years ago, I was four years old. But in just that amount of time, we've lost faith in our institutions. We've lost faith in the people that lead those institutions. Anybody here remember the name Walter Cronkite? Or um, there were David Brinkley. Um, another one was uh, Chet Huntley. For you under 50, under 40, those were three news anchors on the three major networks. And when they told you something, it was news, it was factual. And if they wanted to say something different than that, they would say this, I have an opinion. And you could trust that. Today, we shape our own news. We go to listen to who we want to agree with us. I was talking a few weeks ago and illustrated that, that you know, there was a time when my grandpa was a preacher and there was a time when people went to him for all kinds of advice. Now, it's like 14% of people view the pastor as someone to get advice from. And so we have this vacuum where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And it's okay. But the problem is it's not okay there still is a truth that was meant to bind us together. And the last one is, hard times reveal a gospel problem. And now I can go forward. There we go. And we're not really aware of them because they're subtle. But things like formalism or legalism. Now people go to church and what they pick up in church, a lot of times, is religion. It's not a relationship with Jesus. And, and that's, that's troublesome. Now, there's nothing wrong with rules. 
but they can't get you to heaven. They can't save you. Mysticism. We go from a high, spiritual high to a spiritual high. And we're disillusioned with God if he doesn't show up and talk to me today. I forget where it is, somewhere in the Old Testament early around Abraham. But there's a great verse and it says, 15 years later, he talked to Abraham again. We want him to talk to us right now. Every day. And the Holy Spirit guides us. But he already talked to us for the most part. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't talk to us. He doesn't encourage us. He doesn't lead us to a verse. He doesn't lead us to something. But truth has been revealed and it's here and it's in Christ. And we need to go to this activism. People jump on a cause. And pretty soon the cause is all they're about. It's not about Jesus. Biblioism. They know this inside and out. Had a guy in a church in, in Rala. I've never met a guy that could quote scripture like he could. But he had no friends. We called him our porcupine. He had a lot of good points, but you couldn't get close to him. You know, and one day he was like, how come I don't have any friends? I said, do you really want me to answer that question? He said, maybe not the way you said that, but yeah. I said, because you don't understand grace and love. And he started quoting scripture at me. I said, those are true, but you have to practice them. And it took about six months of weekly conversations where we began to understand. And within a year or two, that guy was the center of everything because it came alive for him. It was wonderful. I can't even say the next one. Psychologicalism. We use the church or we use truth to get healed, but we never enjoy the full relationship and the joy of having relationship with Jesus. Yes, the truth will set you free. Yes, the truth will bring healing. Yes, healing is something God's in business of. But that's not the only thing he does. It's the relationship with Jesus that's so critical. And the last one, socialism, not the philosophy. But the number one reason people go to church is to find a friend. It's not to have their lives transformed. It's to find a friend. Now, that's a really good thing. And they come to church to find that because you're friendly people. But it's not enough. Let's just pray, you know. If you're watching at home, I can't get the screen to move. Second Peter 1.8 says this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that knowledge isn't, thank you, that knowledge isn't just cognitive. That knowledge is in, says that you know him, that you know about him, that you're in relationship with him. Okay, I give up. <laughs> Here we go. There's two things at play in that verse. It says, first, you have to know, you have to practice them. 
You have to own God's promises and those qualities. Those are yours. Those aren't foreign to you. Christ is in you if you're a Christian. You're in Christ. And so all of the characters of the Father are present. This is a little Bible promise book. You know, what did it say? It said that your promises. Do you know what God has promised you? Now, all this is is scripture put in um, categories. It's like if you're afraid. There's scriptures about being afraid. If you need help, if you're dealing with pride, if, if you have sin in your life, if you have worry or work, lessons about work. When's the last time you had a problem and the first place you went to was, was scripture? It's meant to be used. Estel gives these out by the caseload, I think. Because knowing God's promises is critical to your well-being. I love the fact that Dean prayed from where today? Out of scripture. That's God's word. God's word is alive. It's true. God will answer his own word because it's his word. You can speak the promises of God over your own life, over your family, over your kids. Esco prays the promises of God over me every morning. And it's amazing that what she chooses to pray often pops up somewhere during the day. Because God cares about that. The second part of this, that we not only have to practice it, is that it provides us security. It says, for godliness and life. A godly life. God doesn't just care about your spiritual life. He cares about your entire life. He cares about your work. He cares about your family, your emotions. He cares about your play. He cares about all your relationships. And he does care about your spiritual relationship with him. But that's a part of who you are. It's not just a piece that he focuses on. What does it mean to have godly playtime? What does it mean to have a godly marriage? What does it mean to have a godly parenting session? What does it mean to put God at play, at, at, in first place when you go to work? He cares about you having a godly life. The godliness is meant to qualify life. First John 5, 4 says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. If you want to overcome the situation that we're in, you go to Jesus. You don't go to nightly news. You don't go to the stats on COVID this week or this day. You go to the promises of God. You go to those things that will keep you the things that identify you, the things that are important. There's a problem, though, I think, in, in churches today, and sometimes in this church. We're aware that the gospel saved us, and we're aware that the gospel sends us to heaven, but are we committed to the fact that the gospel also keeps us every day? In, in Titus, let me just read a, a verse to you. In 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, 
That's the gospel that saved us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's the gospel that keeps us. And while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's the gospel that we'll deal with when we go to heaven. The gospel is powerful for right now. That's why this book should always be within arm's length. Whether it's on your phone or a tablet or a physical book, because it holds the answers to life. A couple, three months into COVID, I got into an argument with one of the staff because I was infuriated at what I was hearing about people. And it was that, you know, we're failing. We don't like this. We're discouraged. We're all these things. And that doesn't sound like God's people. It doesn't sound like God's people are supposed to sound. You look back at, at David. When he was downtrodden, and he had reason to be downtrodden. The guy's in the back of a cave. Food's lousy and it's cold. People are hunting him. It's damp. And he says to himself, Soul, why are you downcast? Why are you having a bad day? Why don't you rejoice? Because if you rejoice, and then the rejoicing qualifies the behavior, you will begin to praise. Have you ever praised God or worshiped God and felt bad at the same time? It's really difficult. It's really difficult to have an oh me, my session in front of God because he wants to be with us. He wants to engage with us. He wants to love us. He wants to comfort us. And comfort usually comes through this or you, because you're the church. We're meant to use each other. I saw a great sign in a gift store. It said, friends are people you use. It's true. But instead, we pull back and we isolate. As Christians, we should be in the Word, not for to know more, but to know Jesus more. We should be allowing the Word to, to read us so that we're encouraged, so that we shift our attitudes. The Gospel is so critical because in it we find purpose, we find the power, and we find the joy of everyday life. A couple of years ago, Nick did the series, just The Ordinary. And it was a great series because we love to just do the high stuff. We want the big vacations. We want the big stuff in life. But that's not where it's lived. It's lived Monday through Friday at work fun but he's with us when's the last time you got in your car and took Jesus to work with you 
got, I was getting home, we were in Colorado, and, and I had stopped on the way home um, at a stream that I did sometimes and fished for a little bit. And uh, I don't think there were ever any fish in that river. But I was telling to a buddy, and he said, uh, does Jesus like to fish with you? I thought, what are you talking about? So we talked about it. How aware are you of the presence of Christ in just the everyday stuff that you do? This afternoon, when you're home, when you're with your family, are you aware of the presence of Jesus? When you go to work tomorrow, whether it's down the hall to your home office or in a car to a retailer someplace, are you aware that Jesus' presence is with you? When the kids are hollering at you or you're hollering at the kids, are you aware that, that God's presence is, is there? Because it is. He cares that much. And it's important. Here's some things that we need to each know. We fight the flesh daily. That's why Peter and Paul, they talk about worldliness. They talk about godlessness. And they encourage us. Don't fight the flesh on your own, but put on the armor of God. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be diligent. Paul, walk in a manner worthy. Uh, he's always talking about this walking with concept. He's always talking about putting on or putting off, putting on godliness and holiness. When? For Sunday? No, in daily life. And if we do that, the fight with the flesh becomes less and less because he's not as powerful as Jesus is. Do you really believe the verse that says we are more than conquerors? If we did, our behavior would probably be different. Our voicing would be different and about different things. We've got to come to terms with the fact that we are followers of Jesus. Aren't we? And if we are followers of Jesus, then we are in Christ. Who is he? Is he victorious? Is he more than a conqueror? Is he a healer? Is he a savior? Is he a friend? Is he a confidant? Can we trust him? Is he full of integrity? Those are all the characteristics that he has and we have access to if we put them on. If we say yes to them. But we have to do it every day. Satan's good at what he does. And he's going to come at us. And the more you put it on, the more he comes at us and the more frustrated he'll get. But it's not just the putting on stuff, it's the heart. Why are you putting these things on? Is it to be a good little Christian? No, it's to stand victorious in Christ Jesus against the things of the world. It's so that you don't believe that COVID's going to kill everybody. It's so that you don't believe that because of a terrible incident with Floyd that we have to hate each other 
just because the stock market's going up and down and fluctuating and small businesses are closing, it doesn't mean everything in the world is collapsing. Yes, it's serious, and yes, we need to do some things about that. But the bigger issue is, who are you getting your, your encouragement from? Who you're getting your energy from? Your empowerment from? Is it the news? Is it cultural expectations, or is it Jesus? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If your main source into your heart is what the culture around you is giving you, you're in trouble because you're exposed. But if what you're putting into your heart is this, if you're memorizing scripture so it can be a light unto your feet, that's what Psalm says it is, so that it is a, a pathway in front of you because it guides us, then you're going to resist and you're going to be resilient and you're going to bounce back and you're going to say, no, that's not who I am. Yes, it's difficult, but my joy isn't from my circumstance. My joy is from Jesus. My confidence is in Christ. It's not a system or an ideology. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Being in a great church won't get you to heaven. Hopefully it will help you along the way. But saying yes to Jesus as your Savior and King gets you to heaven. And guess what? We win. We have a future with him. And that should motivate what you do today. If you're going on a great trip to the Bahamas, what you put in your suitcase reflects what? Not the weather where you're at, but the Bahamas. You don't take a parker there. What are you in storing, what are you putting within yourself now in anticipation of where you're going to be? How are you living out the gospel today? so that it reflects heaven, so that it reflects Jesus. Be quick to repent. David, what a scoundrel, a sinner. But man, did he repent quick. And when he repented, it was sincere, and God put him back on the place. This isn't about perfection. This is about living our lives as God would have us to live within what he's given us. But what he's given us is it says he's given us everything we need for this divine nature, for godliness and for life. Your faith given by God is what makes you resilient. If you take it and you practice it. You do the things. You spend time with your Savior. You spend time with Jesus as Lord, as friend, as confidant, as healer. You pray with each other. You talk about the good things of God with each other. You encourage one another. I want to close as the worship team comes up.
by praying a prayer over you out of Ephesians. It's from Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 20. If you want to grab a Bible, go ahead and, and read along with me. Because this is one of Paul's prayers for the church. Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of Christ's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love because of Christ's love for you, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how deep and high the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Read that prayer often because it's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to be encouraged with his presence, with his word. He wants you to recognize, yes, we can sin, but we are victorious over that in Christ Jesus. We can repent quick. We can hit our knees fast. And we can stand up strong. Let's worship.